When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into 49ers Access. My name is Sterling Bennett, and we have reached the halfway point, or just over the halfway point of the NFL season, and that means we have to hand out our mid-season awards. We will do that today. We will also look at the second half of the season for the San Francisco 49ers and take a look at how the team might stack up as they do try to make a second-half push and maybe even win the NFC West and potentially become the one or number two seed in the NFC Conference. So let's start with the team awards at the halfway point. San Francisco is currently 4-4. Four and four. That means they are directly in the halfway point of the season, so it's really a perfect time to hand out these 2022 midseason team awards. And let's start off with the biggest award there is. Who is the Niners team MVP through, I guess, now nine weeks, albeit eight games, of the 2022 NFL season, and I think there is one answer to this, and it's only one answer to this, and that is Nick Bosa. I mean, how can you argue with anybody that is not Nick Bosa? I mean, come on. Like, if, if anyone says any other player outside of the name Nick Bosa, smack him across the face and throw him in a dumpster, because they're wrong. Nick Bosa is far and away the MVP of this Niners team. Through only seven games, Nick Bosa has eight and a half sacks, eight tackles for losses, 27 pressures, including, I believe, 13 in one game. He also has 18 quarterback hits and is first in pass rush productivity and second in pass rush win rate. I mean, if you're looking for anybody that actually means more to this Niners team than Nick Bosa, you are going to find absolutely nobody. This team, this defense, runs through Nick Bosa. Where Nick Bosa goes, this defense goes. He is the most important player on this team, the most important player on the defense, and that's why he's this year's MVP. I mean, looking at the NFL landscape, Nick Bosa is currently, or should be, the frontrunner for Defensive Player of the Year. I don't understand the NFL's infatuation with Micah Parsons. I get it. Parsons is an, is an amazing talent. He's a top-notch pass rusher, top-notch linebacker in football. He can do it all. That being said, Nick Bosa is better than Micah Parsons in 90% of the categories needed to become Defensive Player of the Year. Take off that Dallas star, and Micah Parsons will likely be forgotten. And what I mean by that is he's likely going to be on par with the Matthew Judons, Nick Bosa's. Like he's, Micah Parsons is a great player. An all-pro player, a Pro Bowl player, but let's be clear here, Micah Parsons is not Nick Bosa. He's really good, but he's still not Nick Bosa, so through seven games for Nick Bosa's sake, eight games for the Niners' sake, Nick Bosa is this team's MVP most valuable player. Now, 
the next category might get me in trouble because it is the offensive player of the year. Now, if you would have told me who's going to win this award, you know, in my opinion, at week one during preseason, I would have said Debo Samuel, George Kittle, maybe Trey Lance, Brandon Ayuk, maybe, maybe Elijah Mitchell. But I'm going to lean towards the quarterback here, and I'm going to pick your guy, my guy, right now, San Francisco's only guy at the quarterback position, and I'm going to pick Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, let me read off Jimmy Garoppolo's stats. 66 completion percentage, over 1,600, almost 1,700 passing yards, averaging 8.1 yards per attempt. 11 passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown, and a quarterback rating of 100.7. Currently has a 5% big-time throw rate, the best of his career, and 24.5% DVOA, ranking third, yes, third among quarterbacks in the NFL. I understand the knocks on Jimmy, the history he has, the mistakes he's made, the clunkers he's had, a.k.a. Denver, but this year... We are witnessing arguably the best Jimmy G we have ever seen. And to me, with Debo Samuel not playing the last couple games, with George Kittle missing the first few games of the season, with Brandon Ayuk having his his jump as of late but not being early in the year, to me, I think Jimmy Garoppolo has to be, has to be, thus far, this team's Offensive Player of the Year. When they lose, he's still playing really really good. Chiefs game, I get it, he had the pick, but the Panther game was really good. The two Rams games, really good. Seattle game, really good. Like, Jimmy Garoppolo has been really good. I would say top 12 quarterback this year alone in about half the games he's played. And I understand that people don't want to have that conversation because of the connotation that comes with the name Jimmy G, but I think it's about time that fans start to look at it a little differently. And that doesn't mean he'll be perfect down the stretch. What it means is through eight games this year, I guess in his case, seven games again, Jimmy G has been really, really good. And he is my Offensive Player of the Year at the midway point of the Niners season. Now, I do want to clarify something because as we go into Defensive Player of the Year, I I made it a rule where I could not pick the same player for multiple awards. Because if Nick Bosa's winning the MVP, he's also winning Defensive Player of the Year. Like, that's just a... It's a given. Like, why would he not win the same award? Or win both awards? So, each award is going to have a different player simply because Nick Bosa would take the cake on half of them, and it would be too easy to pick the same guy for four of them, right? So, Defensive Player of the Year was tough because... Couldn't pick Nick Bosa, obviously. And I think many fans would point to Dre Greenlaw or Fred Warner because those are the bigger names on the roster. Those two guys have been a staple in the defense for a long time. But I chose the up-and-comer who, albeit I struggled recently with missed tackles, uh, has played so well this half of the season that it was hard to look past his name. That is Talanoa Hufunga. Through eight games thus far, Hufunga, 48 tackles, 35 solo tackles, 6 pass deflections, 5 tackle for losses, 3 interceptions, 1 sack, and 1 pick 6. A game ceiling 
pick six. Mind you, if there was going to be a person to pick for Defensive Player of the Year that is young, upcoming, has plenty of room to improve, but is still going out there every single week and showing why he was handed the starting strong safety job, Tao Hufanga is your man. He has been a huge pick-me-up when Jimmy Ward wasn't playing early in the year, and despite struggling recently, has been a, 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 I guess you could say, a spark plug on that defense that has missed many defensive starters this season. Talking about someone that gives this team energy, that gives this team somebody that can get the ball back for maybe the first time since 2018, <laughs> since 2013 maybe, uh, Tao no Hufanga is your man, and currently he is your defensive player of the year. Now, let's move on to the rookies of the year, offensive and defense, and this one was kind of tough because I had to ask myself, uh, do I include Aaron Banks in this? <laughs> because he didn't really play much last year. Do I, do, I, do I invoke the MLB rule where if you only play a certain amount of games and, and don't accrue a full season, do I include you in this list? And I chose not to. I just said, who is strictly part of this rookie class that deserves this award? And offensively, Ty Davis Price hasn't played much, but there is one person that stood out above the rest, and that is Spencer Burford. When in training camp, I think many fans, including myself, were surprised that Burford was starting at right guard, and that was because San Francisco was trying to figure out who is playing center. Is it Brunskill? Is it Brendel? And they were trying to figure out and trying to get reps for both guys, and they were splitting. Burford was someone that benefited from that. He was playing right guard, starting right guard, every single day, building chemistry with McGlinchey, building chemistry with Brendel and Brunskill, whoever they were going to play at center. And so, for Burford's sake, and he's played every single game thus far, and he's actually performed really, really well. 406 offensive snaps, only 8 pressure, so essentially one pressure allowed per game, that's pretty good. Zero sacks allowed. When you ask yourself, what is the one quality you want in an offensive lineman? Now, some could say, well, are they good at run blocking? Uh, Burford's okay, but I think right now, if you would have told me that Spencer Burford's going to allow zero sacks this offseason, or this season, excuse me, I would argue that that as a fifth round pick, I would say you struck gold. And so maybe he's a winner by default because there haven't been many other guys. Danny Gray is not playing. Uh, TDP has been hurt. And when he does play, it's very sparingly. So maybe it's a win by default for Burford. But I do think Burford, despite that win by default, has played very, very well to a point where he essentially, while didn't take Daniel Brunskill's job, uh, Brunskill and him are splitting reps. And if you would have told me a fifth round pick comes into camp, and unseats Brunskill as a starting right guard who, who played really well last year, I would have said, eh, I, I'm not sure about that. But that's what Burford did. And because of that, and playing so well, he is currently your offensive rookie of the year. Moving to the defensive side of the football. This one was more tough because we had Samuel Womack, who played well in the preseason, who was starting at nickel <laughs> to begin the year through the first two or three games, then he got benched. I said, okay, well, uh, who else is out there? Then I thought to myself, well, duh. The only other answer is Drake Jackson. How is Drake Jackson not the defensive rookie of the year thus far? 
through eight games in very small snap counts, 10 total tackles, seven solo tackles, 10 pressures, three sacks, two tackle for losses, and two pass deflections. This is a player who San Francisco, I believe, struck gold in. There was a certain point this year where he was tied for the rookie lead in sacks despite playing like a quarter of the snaps as the rookie leader Aiden Hutchinson did in Detroit. Drake Jackson, to end the season, could have six sacks, 20 pressures. And if you're telling me that that's a second round pick and that's what he's giving you in this defense, next to Bosa and Ebukam and Armstead, who's missed a handful of time, uh, John Kinlaw, who hasn't played at all really this year, I mean, why would that not be the choice? Like, how could that not be the pick when you're looking at efficiency, snap count, sack totals, pressure totals, like everything aligns for the pick to be the rookie of the year defensively to be Drake Jackson. I, I do think that he is going to give them the potential to move off of Samson Ebukam at the end of the season, give them confidence that he can step in and be that number two edge rusher across from Nick Bosa. They can find somebody else who's cheaper instead of Ebukam. And I do think that he is someone that's giving them hope that when this year ends, he might be that starter across from Ebukam and kind of bring them into this new era of defensive linemen in San Francisco across from Nick Bosa. And so only a few awards left before we get to our second half of the season, uh, you know, predictions and, and uh, how this year may end up for San Francisco. So stick with me here for just four more awards because I think some of these are going to surprise you. And this next award is Coach of the Year. Now, many fans might say it can't be Shanahan. Many fans say, how could it not be Kyle Shanahan? Many fans would point to Demeco Ryan's having the number one defense in football at a certain point this year. And I would say, that was my pick initially. Then I sat back and I said, okay. I said, which coach on this team, which unit on this team has been the best? Now, I think the offensive line is underrated. That was a close choice for me. But I pointed to someone who has actually gotten his flowers a lot recently. And that is Chris Kosarek, the defensive line coach. This defensive line unit, we all know, is one of the best in football, best at getting pressure, dating from 2019, right? The personnel there was amazing. Armstead, Buckner, uh, they had Nick Bosa, obviously, in his rookie season. 2020 takes a hit because of the injuries, but 2021 comes back hard and heavy. Ebukam, Arden Key, Buckner, uh, Kinlaw for a short period of time. DJ Jones, Nick Bosa. Now this year, with Bosa and Jackson and Ebukam and Kinlaw and Armstead and Givens, Chris Kosarek this year, his unit on the defensive line, 26 sacks, ranks 6th in football. Mind you, hasn't had Kinlaw all year, essentially. Hasn't had Nick Bosa for one game. Armstead's missed four games. Like, he hasn't had his top-tier personnel and still ranks 6th in sacks. Tackle for losses, 42 this year. That ranks 8th in football. 6 picks, 2 pick 6s, 5 forced fumbles, and 3 fumbles recovered. I mean, if there's a unit on this team that deserves its flowers more so than anybody else. Now, doesn't mean the linebackers or safeties or cornerbacks don't also deserve credit, because they do. But 
I believe Chris Kosarek's defensive line right now is the best coach unit on this team. And I can argue it has been since 2019. That's despite Mooney Ward and Emile Mosley and Hufunga and, and Jimmy Ward and Tayshawn Gibson and Warner and Greenlaw. I just feel like that this defensive line is the best unit on this team. So instead of picking just Demeco or Shanahan, which if you pick them, no fault of your own, I totally get it, right? But I just thought that let's give this award to somebody who may not get recognized as much as, as those other guys, but arguably has his unit playing better than maybe the majority of the offense and defense any given Sunday. Moving on to the most underrated player and the most improved player this year. My most underrated player through eight games of 2022 is Brandon Ayuk. Again, going back to the Offensive Player of the Year award, if you would have told me that Debo Samuel, George Kittle, and Elijah Mitchell, like, they would have been up for Offensive Player of the Year, and it may have lended uh, Brandon Ayuk the edge for most underrated player. But in my opinion, Brandon Ayuk has exceeded expectations this year. 38 receptions. 484 receiving yards, both first on the team, 12.7 yards per catch, four touchdowns for receivers and running backs, that is first on the team, and 60.4 yards per game, and 215 total yards of yak. And I do think people get frustrated with Brandon Ayuk, because first round pick, traded up for him, he was supposed to be the 1B to Debo Samuel's 1A. And Debo Samuel exploded in year three, 2021, and people are waiting for Brandon Ayuk to do the same. But And while very different players, I do think that 2020, 2021, this is Brandon Ayuk's third year in football, and I think he's breaking out. Like, by the end of the season, Brandon Ayuk could have seven touchdowns, near 1,000 yards, 800 yards maybe and 60, 70 plus receptions, like there's a good chance Ayuk is pretty close to an 80 reception, 1,000 yard receiver, seven touchdown player. That's a really good first round pick. And that puts him up there with some of the top number two receivers in football. I mean, if I pointed out and said, what do I want Brandon Ayuk to be? I think I would say be my Michael Gallup in Dallas to my CeeDee Lamb, to my Amari Cooper when he was there in, in, in Big D. And so, and Brandon Ayuk is doing that. He's being a big third down guy. He's being a yak guy. He's being someone that now Jimmy Garoppolo and hopefully Trey Lance next year can continue to build with, continue to find chemistry with. Like, essentially, Brandon Ayuk has been receiver number one this year for Jimmy G, which I don't think anybody would have said that was going to happen coming into this year with the knowledge of Jimmy G then taking over the offense because Lance gets hurt. I think that... There was this preconceived notion, I said it, you said it, the media said it, that Brandon Ayuk and Trey Lance's chemistry was so good that Trey Lance and Brandon Ayuk are going to be, potentially, uh, the next Garcia T.O., Steve Young T.O., if they can reach their true potential. Now, we'll never know now, or hopefully we, we will know next year maybe, but when Lance got hurt, it was, oh my god, uh, Brandon Ayuk stalks in the garbage. But that's not been the case at all. His stock's gone up. Now, 
different offenses, but Ayuk has performed extremely well. I believe the run blocking has been great. There has been no doghouse talk from Kyle Shanahan. And I truly believe that I think the NFL overlooks Brandon Ayuk. But I think that Brandon Ayuk, to me, is one of the most underrated receivers in football. He was tearing up Trevon Diggs in the playoffs last year. He tore up Falcons receivers tw or cornerbacks twice. A.J. Terrell was on his freaking butt twice because Ayuk's route running is so crisp, so good. I do think Brandon Ayuk has, is finding himself uh, ascending into that 1B category if he can end this season strong, but currently a really, really good number two receiver acting as the number one. And, and if it's next man up, which it has been, he's filled those shoes extremely, extremely well. Okay, two more awards to hand out. Most improved player. This was arguably the easiest award to hand out outside of MVP. Aaron Banks has been far and away the most improved player this season for San Francisco. Second round pick in 2021, played sparingly last year, was caught in a positional change, left guard to right guard, couldn't do it, his body wasn't right, the game was way too fast for him. So what do they do? They, and it's funny because they essentially banked on Aaron Banks being better or close to Lake and Tomlinson this year with the knowledge of his body not being right last year with the knowledge of the game being too fast for him his footwork not being right last year they banked on him no pun intended to take over the role of left guard and what has he done this year and i think john lynch talked about it recently where he said that there were concerns in training camp in OTAs that he was not going to be the guy at left guard, that there were some issues that they, that Shanahan and Lynch and Chris Forrester, defensive line coach, were like, we don't know if he's the guy. But Aaron Banks thus far this year, 490 offensive snaps, 11 pressures allowed, zero sacks allowed, and zero quarterback hits allowed. I mean, I applauded Burford for no sacks allowed. Aaron Banks has allowed zero sacks and quarterback hits talk about nearly being flawless at left guard he's picking up stunts the chemistry's there with Williams and Brendel and Aaron Banks I can argue this year has been an anchor on the offensive line as a year or two essentially rookie year for him I mean that is big uh, shoes to step in of Lake and Tomlinson and he has far and away succeeded him I mean, Aaron Banks this year is having a better season than Lakin Tomlinson in New York. All the talk of, is he ready? We don't know. Uh, Aaron Banks has shut up every single critic there is. And I'll admit, there was questions, concerns around him on my behalf of, who is this kid? We don't know. Well, now we know that San Francisco has an anchor at left guard. A, a, a young, viable, potentially, hopefully, all pro pro bowl level left guard next to our an already all pro pro bowl level left tackle in Trent Williams so your offensive or excuse me your most improved player Aaron Banks your most underrated player Brandon Ayuk and that brings us to our last award 
before we get to the second half of the season preview for this Niners team. Comeback Player of the Year. Now, this award was... Uh, I went back and forth because I'd already in my head named Jimmy G the Offensive Player of the Year. And I said, okay. I said, well, it would make more sense if he was the Comeback Player of the Year because he wasn't supposed to be here. <laughs> like... Him getting Comeback Player of the Year would rewrite the 2019 season that should have happened for him when he didn't get it, but also it would make a ton of sense contextual, contextually because he was not supposed to be here, and he came back, and he's playing arguably the best he ever has, but my mind said, okay, if you're going to pick Jimmy for Offensive Player of the Year, then you have to pick this next player for comeback player of the year because one he didn't play much he's missed 20 games uh since 2020 he's arguably playing up to par with how he was in 2018 his all pro season and he's only been a niner for two games and that player is christian mccaffrey uh, christian mccaffrey's had this long injury history and they're when, they, when he was traded to San Francisco, there was this talk of, if he's healthy, if he's healthy, if he's healthy, I had that talk, you had that talk, we had that talk, NFL media had that talk. The question was, if he's healthy. And so far, this year, he has been healthy. And it's showing on the field. 511 rushing yards, 4.7 yards per carry, three rushing touchdowns, 43 receptions, 356 receiving yards, 8.3 yards per catch, two receiving touchdowns, and one passing touchdown, including a game where he had a rushing touchdown, a passing touchdown, and a receiving touchdown just two weeks ago. I mean, if there was anybody that you would circle that says, that's the comeback player of the year, albeit only playing two games in San Francisco, even if he was in Carolina still, I do think he might be someone they would still choose to win that award. And San Francisco is already reaping the benefits of a if healthy Christian McCaffrey. So I think it was, if Jimmy's getting Offensive Player of the Year, then Christian McCaffrey is, bar none, the only choice for Comeback Player of the Year because he's playing so well this year, despite only playing two games in San Francisco, one of those being unlimited offensive snaps. Like, Christian McCaffrey has three touchdowns in essentially one and a half games for San Francisco. I mean, that is cold, hard cash, to quote Tim Roy, the voice of the Golden State Warriors. I mean, that is a quick return on your big investment. Now, whole season to go, we'll see what happens. Knock on wood, he's still healthy. Because, again, I told you when, when, when they traded for him... He was and still is one of the best players in football, and he's already showing that right now through two and a half, maybe one and a half games in San Francisco. So that does it for the awards. I'll recap very quickly here. Nick Bosa MVP, Jimmy G Offensive Player of the Year, Talanoa Hufunga Defensive Player of the Year, Spencer Burford Offensive Rookie of the Year, Drake Jackson Defensive Rookie of the Year, Chris Kosarek, Coach of the Year. Most Underrated Player, Brandon Ayuk. Most Improved Player, Aaron Banks. And Comeback Player of the Year, Christian McCaffrey. Okay. Let's now move on to the second half of the season 
preview, but before we do so, I want to remind you, if you want to go see them play the Chargers, Cardinals, Saints, Dolphins, Buccaneers, Seahawks, Commanders, Raiders, Cardinals again, you're going to want to use that promo code 49ERSACCESS. Save yourself $20 off your first purchase at SeatGeek.com. These games are expensive. Tickets right now, $137, $250, $173, $371. Anytime you can save yourself $20, $350 looks a lot better than $370. I mean, that's my opinion, but I think it does. Anytime you can save $20, it's a good deal, good price. So again, use that promo code 49ersaccess, seatgeek.com, save your Self some money and let's dive right into the second half of the season preview. San Francisco this Sunday will take on the Los Angeles Chargers at 5:20 p.m. in prime time Sunday night football. Now, when you hear that, my first response was, "When the last time we played in prime time Sunday night football didn't go so well, Broncos game, yikes." AFC West opponent, it was like, I got freaking flashbacks, like, oh my god, not again, not again. But I do believe that San Francisco has set themselves up for a really fascinating and successful second half run. Like, just on paper, Chargers, that's a W. Cardinals, arguably a split, okay, so you're one and one. You're guess, I guess in that case, you're one and two, or two and one, excuse me. Saints... You can beat them. They have no offensive punch. Dolphins is going to be a tough opponent. You got Tua, Tyreek Hill, Mike McDaniel, Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson Jr. Revenge game back at Levi Stadium. That could be interesting. So let's say you're 2-2, two 3-2, two, right? Tampa Bay. Tom Brady has not looked like Tom Brady this year. That Buccaneers offense doesn't look that good. Uh, maybe the Rams game where they come back with 30 seconds left sparks that offense. That was my first thought was like, I hope this doesn't put them on a run because I don't want to have to play Tom Brady being the goat. I don't want to have to have a, a, I guess a goat fueled Tom Brady to, to shout out Jerry Rice, but Chargers game, a win Cardinals game, Mexico city, a win saints game, a win. Dolphins, let's say a loss. Buccaneers game, hmm, let's, let's say you're 4-1 at that point. Well, you got Seattle again, right? Okay, 5-1. You already beat them this year by a lot. Granted, they're playing a lot better, but so are you. Washington game, you're 6-1. Raider game, who are the Raiders this year? 7-1? Like, there's a real chance San Francisco finishes 7-2 to end the season. Now, that's just on paper. Injuries happen, but... San Francisco was likely to get back Elijah Mitchell. Uh, Aziz Alshire said he's going to play against the Chargers in some capacity. You might get Eric Armstead back. You hopefully get Jason Brett back. Like, they're Debo Samuel back. Like, San Francisco was going to at least the first, you know, week 10, week 11, be as healthy as they have been all season long. And I can argue that two primetime games back-to-back off the bye week this week, Chargers game, that should be a win. Now, nothing is confirmed. San Francisco was 1-4 on bye weeks under Kyle Shanahan. Last year was the Colts game. Granted, Lance was hurt. Jimmy was hurt. Uh, Raining at Levi Stadium. There were some maybe uh, out-of-control factors that came into play in that game, but albeit 
one and four under Kyle Shanahan the last five seasons. So Chargers game to me, it's going to be a win. They could have Keenan Allen at that point. Cardinals game. And with that Cardinals game, you have three division games left in the second half of the season. In my mind, because of Kyler Murray and what he's done to this San Francisco defense, I am chalking up at least a split. San Francisco could easily be 0-2 against the Cardinals this year. That's why it's imperative that they do sweep Seattle. You already swept the Rams. You have to sweep Seattle. You go 4-2 in the division, you are setting yourself up for success. And even if you lose against the Cardinals twice, okay, let's say they do. Chargers, you can win. Saints, you can win. Buccaneers, you can win. Now, I know they called the Dolphins game a loss, but you can win that game too. You know, Seattle, Commanders, like almost every single team in their second half schedule. Chargers, Cardinals, Saints, Dolphins, Buccaneers, Seattle, Commanders, the Raiders. None of those rosters are better than San Francisco. None of them. And I do think that being 4-4, four and four, going into the bye week, not only was it a chance to get healthy, I do think it was, we don't have to go into the bye week being worried of we're 3-5. and five, Or this kind of, this, you know, this dark cloud, this looming dread of like, we're 3-5. and five. We have to go on a run again. Now it's, okay, we are 4-4. Four and four. We're at a good place. Not where we want to be. Where you should be. But we're here now. We're healthier now. And I do think it lends confidence. Last year, at the bye week, there was no confidence. It's Cardinals game. Lance gets hurt. Bye week. Jimmy's still hurt. Jimmy has to play. Because Lance can't play. He's playing hurt. There's rain. It doesn't go well. We know that. And so, I think this year, Jimmy's playing his best football, arguably, ever. You have Christian McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell, both healthy. You have Debo back. Ayuk's playing his best football ever. Kittle's hitting his stride. The offensive line's playing extremely well. The defensive line getting healthy again. Maybe Eric Armstead's back. The secondary might give Rhett back. Like, everything is aligning for a second-half run for San Francisco. And I truly believe that even if they lose to the Buccaneers or the Saints and there is some upset somewhere, the beautiful thing is that this schedule heavily favors San Francisco. You essentially only have, technically you have two road games, Raiders and Seattle. And you have the one game in Mexico City where you're technically the home team. So you have two, three road games out of nine. Six of your last nine games are at home. Less travel, more rest, you can get healthier. You have three prime time games starting this Sunday. Then you get the extra day off when you play on Monday against the Cardinals. Then you're at home for the next three weeks against the Saints, the Dolphins, the Buccaneers. Then you're in Seattle on Thursday night for prime time, a short week. But I hate to say it, Seattle to me, while not fake, I think they're overperforming. And I think San Francisco in the first half underperformed to their potential. I would not be surprised if San Francisco went 6-3 and three to end the season. And they ended up being 10-7. and seven. 
with the number two seed, number three seed, I guess it couldn't be three, but number two seed in football. Because the Eagles are probably going to be, you know, 12 and whatever, 12 and five, whatever it may be. But there's a real chance here for San Francisco to win at least six games, in my opinion. Again, Chargers, Cardinals, Saints, Dolphins, Bucks, Seattle, Washington, Raiders. Right there is eight games that you can easily win. And that's including giving the Cardinals one game. And we know that football isn't played on paper. Like, we should have beat Denver and the Falcons. <laughs> I get that. But I just think right now, confidence being at an all-time high, I do think San Francisco is up for the task of winning six of their last nine games, potentially. And even if they win five games, you're nine and seven. Nine and eight, excuse me. That's not bad. That's a playoff team. It's a wild card team. Arguably a division winner if you do sweep Seattle. So I just think right now, if you're asking me where does San Francisco line up, I think this team at least finishes 9-8, and eight, a wildcard team. Even if they're 9-8, and eight, they could still win the division and at least be the number four seed in football, hosting a playoff game come playoff time. But I do think at the height of their potential, they could be a number one seed if Philadelphia falters. But even if they don't, I wouldn't bank on that because their, their schedule is cupcake to the core. I can see number two seed being a 10-7 and seven team. And I think right there is a perfect sweet spot. You may host one, potentially two playoff games. Give you, instead of, what is it, seven, six home games, give yourself eight home games, including the playoffs, of your last, what is that, 12, 11 games. Like, that is money. For this team that's older, their veterans had a long run last year, less stress this year getting to the playoffs. Like, if you are a team like San Francisco, you have a chance to, you are in complete control of your destiny, of your season. It's up to you. And if there's any team in football, I would say that's the one team I could trust to control their own destiny. It's this team. This team has proven to me again that they have a dog in them. That they can secure the win, step on a team's throat, and I do think that this second half of the season is going to be a further uh, a further statement or further uh, proof towards that idea that they are going out for blood. They can smell blood in the water at 4-4, four and four, despite being in second place in the division, I think they can sense that they have all the momentum. Who cares what Seattle's doing? You already beat them once this year. Take care of your own games, forget what they do, and make sure you at least sweep them and beat them in Week 15. You do that, everything favors San Francisco. Winning the division, being 9-8, and 10-7, whatever it may be, but I just think they're setting themselves up for success because all of their winning has essentially been in the division. One against Seattle, two against the Rams. Three games they've won this year against the NFC West at least be successful in your division. It's the easiest way to the playoffs. So again, season ends. 10-7 and is my prediction. NFC West champions for what? The second time in four seasons. Go to the playoffs three times in the last four seasons. And I do think this team has what it takes 
through only eight games, a lot can happen, but through eight games, there are aspirations here to win the entire thing. We'll see. The AFC is tough, but you this team is built to at least get there. And I think that is, I think the team can sense it. I think San Francisco, Fred Warner, Jimmy, Nick Bosa, they know they can get this done. And I do think, I think that matters. Because Philadelphia hasn't been there. They're a young team, a lot of confidence that has not been smacked in the mouth yet. This Niners team is veterans, they've been there, and they've been smacked in the mouth. They're built for this. I'm not sure if teams like Philadelphia or Dallas are built for this long run, and I think San Francisco truly is. So 10-7, and 9-8, NFC West champions is my prediction to end the season. And to end this podcast, I want to remind you, again, use that promo code 49ersaccess, seatgeek.com, save yourself $20 off your first purchase. Also, use the Fanatics code in the description, the link in the description. If you're going to buy Niners gear, why not support the Niners podcast of your choosing and use that Fanatics code or link down in the description. Also, you're going to want to follow us on social media at 49ers.access is the Instagram. 49ers underscore access is the Twitter. You're not going to want to miss an update on injuries, who they're playing, who they're not playing. Also, is Odell Beckham going to sign with San Francisco? You want to find out? Follow us on social media. And until next time, don't forget to leave a like, share, subscribe, leave that review. My name is Sterling Bennett. This has been the 49er Access Podcast and stay faithful.